This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hey, backpackers, this is Bird Shooter. And tonight on the show, we speak again with Alex Meyer. You might recall him by his trail name Money Shot when we last spoke with him in episode 34 about his through hike of the Pacific Northwest Trail. But the filmmaker is back tonight to talk with us about his most recent adventure on the Hay Duke, which is an 812 mile trail that starts in Arches National Park and finishes in Zion National Park, traversing the slot canyons, the desert washes, and mountain ranges that make the desert lands of southern Utah and northern Arizona some of the most scenic landscapes in North America. In the podcast, Alex tells us about his latest film on the Hayduke, the remote wilderness and true solitude that awaits you, and with brutal honesty, discusses the desert hazards that make this one of the most challenging thru-hikes in North America. Money Shot also shares with us some valuable lessons from the Hay Duke and hints at why through hiking these lesser traveled routes may provide a front and backcountry experience that's hard to find on some of the major long distance trails of North America these days. That said, here is the show. This is Bird Shooter, and I'd like to welcome back Alex Money Shot Meyer to the show. We last spoke with him in episode 34 about the Pacific Northwest Trail, and his backcountry adventures continue as he has recently completed the Hayduke Trail, which runs through Utah and Arizona. And we're going to speak with him tonight about his through hike through the desert of the southwestern United States. Alex, it's great to have you back. Bird Shooter, it's good to be back. Yeah, right on. And uh, first off, I got to ask, you know, we last spoke July 18th, 2016. What uh, what have you been up to since? Did I do I recall you you did the North Country Trail after uh after we spoke last? Yeah, I've just been in the upper peninsula of Michigan that whole time. Um I hiked across the UP on the North Country Trail, so that was just like a section of the NCP and that was a section hike. Uh, broke that up into nine sections. Wow! And that was really just kind of like a a filler, just like something to do, because <laughs> I didn't have any funds to go do a a real long distance through hike. So that was just kind of my my compromise to do some backpacking while I was still here. Yeah, nine sections. I mean, is that the entire trail? I think the trail's pretty long, right? Isn't the North Country like sixteen hundred plus? Yeah, it's huge. It's Forty-seven hundred miles. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. North Dakota to New York. <laughs> gotcha. So, yeah. So nine sections. So the UP is five hundred and fifty miles. I gotcha. Right. So you did the the Michigan section then? Yeah. Yeah. Just the UP. Hmm. Northern Michigan part of it. Eh, just five hundred miles. I just think that's probably one of the best parts. Just a walk in the park. <laughs> five hundred miles. Well, I broke it up through like three seasons, so it was uh, enough time. I gotcha. Okay. Have you um, have you hiked any other long distance trails uh, since 2016? Um, nope, just that and the Hayduke. 
Okay. Well, it's just, hey, Duke, obviously, that's what we're, that's what we're here to talk about, and that's uh, no small undertaking, I might add. Um, you know, I mentioned, yeah. I mentioned this to you before when we spoke, and, and I am really impressed with your cinematography. Um, it, it's phenomenal, you, especially some of the nighttime scenes you shoot. It's, it's awesome. So just a refresher for the listeners. You actually studied digital cinema in school, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's actually what brought me up to the UP in the first place. I went to school here at Northern Michigan University, uh, got a degree in digital cinema. Gotcha. It definitely shows. I mean, you can tell you've got some knowledge there, right? That the average person would not necessarily have when they put a film together. Um, are, are you working professionally mm-hmm. in media today? Yeah. Um, kind of doing a whole bunch of random stuff. My main job right now is working on a cultural historical documentary. I've been working with a professor from NMU. He's a sociologist and he's been making documentaries since the seventies. Um, so I've worked on one film with him already and this is our second one together. Okay. And then I'm doing some other marketing and freelance stuff on the side. I got you. So it's, it's, I mean, it's a career for you. You're not, uh, you're not just dabbling in making movies, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Trying to figure out how to turn the, the wilderness filmmaking thing into a career. <laughs> yeah, I think you're off to a good start, man. I mean, at least in quality of shows. So you just released Figure It Out on the Hey Duke, which uh, is currently available for free, I might add, on uh, YouTube over a 10-series um, uh, release that you did. Um, but I understand you're editing the mm-hmm. footage down to an hour and a half. Um, how close are you to having that completed, or is it is it already done? Uh, yeah, it's done. I actually just finished that last week. Ah, is it already posted? That was tricky. <laughs> nope. Um, I'm not sure when I'm going to post that yet. I've been submitting it to film festivals and stuff like that, but I'll probably put that up in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. I really I enjoyed the 10 episodes, so I'm really looking, be a... looking forward to the hour and a half cut for sure. Yeah. Um, is there a scene that you're most proud of in the film? Um, I'd probably going through the Grand Canyon just because that was my favorite part of the trail. And, I mean, it's the Grand Canyon, so the scenery in there is just incredible. And that was definitely the most part, fun part to film. Yeah. It, um, it definitely looked to me like the Grand Canyon was the most challenging part. Is that fair to say? Yeah, probably. It kind of had everything. Like, if you had to condense the entire Hey Duke experience down into, like, one area... You could definitely find it all in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> definitely the most challenging parts and the most fun, too. You definitely seem like your lowest lows were in the canyon. A couple of those times when you got lost, which we'll talk about here in a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are more than one of those. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to drill into that a little. Let me ask you first, though. Um, how many total hours of film did you shoot? Because, I mean, if you have 10 episodes, and I'm sure those things were cut down, and I'm not sure how many total minutes a video I watched, but it was a lot. Um, you must have shot a mm-hmm. ton of footage. Yeah, I was actually just looking at that today. Um, for only video, I had almost one terabyte of video, and that came down to just under 20 hours of footage. And then when all the episodes are put together, those totaled up four hours. Wow. Yeah, and I've... then I just cut that down to an hour and a half. <laughs> okay. I figured it was significant. 
Um, one of the questions I had for you was there was some pretty gnarly ascents and descents on rope in some of the slot canyons. Uh, you had your pack over your head a few times where you were basically going through water up to your almost your chest. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of challenges yeah. that you were dealing with on the Hey Duke. How, how do you protect your filming equipment, by the way? I, I was trying to figure out, like, oh, my God, how does he keep the equipment from getting ruined? <laughs> uh, just be careful, I guess. <laughs> if, if it was, like, going to be pretty sketchy, I just kind of buried my camera in my pack. Wow. Surrounded it with other stuff, other soft things. Wow. There's one time where I had to climb up a cliff, and I had a piece of paracord tied to the tripod and I left my camera down at the bottom so it, it filmed me going up the cliff and then I had to haul the camera and the tripod up on the paracord up behind me and it was like scratching against rocks and stuff on the way up. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I wondered how you did some of that because you know, yeah, I just had to be gentle. <laughs> yeah, It occurred to me at, at multiple times that you know, you'd probably have to do what I watched on film twice, right? To go back to get your camera in some cases. But um, yeah, yeah, every time you see me like in front of the camera, that that means I did that part three times. Oh, wow! I had to either set the camera up and like go up and do it, and then come back down and get the camera and then do it for real. Right. Or like go up there, go up ahead, set the camera up, and then walk towards it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I figured that was the case. What what equipment do you use to uh, to shoot your film? I mean, is it just a single? camera or do you have multiple like with some gopros or how, how do you go about doing that uh for this one i was just using one camera the whole time um it's a sony mirrorless camera that's uh a6500 i've mm. got a nice zoom lens on there um then i had a mic on that gotcha. and a tripod and a whole bunch of batteries okay you basically can take pictures and and shoot video with it, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah, that's like a a big plus, especially with the way technology's been going in the past few years. Is that you can get amazing video and pictures out of the same camera, which that's like a game changer. Yeah, yeah, and the batteries you just have to carry enough that you don't have to worry about running out of juice, huh? Yeah, yeah, um, I carried seven batteries. Oh. But I also had a couple of drone batteries with me. <laughs> wow. Um, I actually started out the trail with a drone. Uh, I was planning on doing the whole dr the whole trail with a drone, but after about 70 miles, I figured out that I would either have to carry more food and water or the drone. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of had to make a choice between one of those things. And when the sections were over 100 miles, it's, I didn't really have a choice with the amount of food that I had to carry. I didn't even have room to, to bring the drone along, so I had to send that back home. Yeah. Kept a couple of the drone batteries, and I was able to charge my camera from that. Oh, I got you. Okay. Um, you had some very good drone footage in the trailer, which really definitely added a lot to the movie, I have to say. So I was curious to ask you about the drone. What is the weight of your equipment with the drone and your weight without? Um, including the drone, it was 10 pounds of camera gear. Wow. And my, my regular base weight was about, I think just under 20 pounds. So like including the drone and everything, my whole base weight was about 30 pounds. Wow. That's which I know probably seems really heavy to some, some of these ultralight hikers. <laughs> yeah. So your base weight's ba basically, it's a third of your base weight, right? Is the equipment. That's amazing. 
Yep. <laughs> yep. Wow. Wow. But after I sent the drone home, then then my camera gear was about six pounds. Okay. The drone weighs about four. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, that's a little more reasonable. So let's talk about the Hayduke Trail because I got a bunch of questions for you, and I know it's getting more and more press, and I'm sure the listeners um, are going to be very curious to hear about it. It looks it looks like an f- extremely scenic trail. Um, the the Hayduke is technically mm-hmm. a route, though, right? It's not really truly a trail. Can you can you explain the difference? Yeah, um, there's one quote in the movie. I think it was day 41 of the hike. And that was the first day that I hiked on a trail for the entire day of, of that entire hike. <laughs> so it took about 40 days to find a day where I, where I hiked on a trail the whole way. So, yeah, most of the time you're just kind of route finding. You're going through canyons and stuff. And most of the time you're kind of following the topography of the land, so it makes sense. But those canyons are kind of like a maze. And there's so many different side trails that can, or side canyons that you can go down by accident, which I found out. <laughs> oh, oh, we're going to talk about that. Uh, I mean, so just for the listeners, the difference between a route and a true trail is that essentially the Hayduke joins together a lot of trails with just some sections in between where you're essentially route finding, right? To to get from one trail section to the other. I mean, is that a, is that a fair explanation of yeah. the difference? Yeah, which I think is a cool. Cool concept. Half of it, I probably wasn't even on trails a lot of the time. I mean, like sometimes you'll you'll get on a real trail, and that's really nice when you do. But most of the time, you're just going through canyons. Yeah, yeah, and it looked and like, like other people have been there before, but there's no actual trail. Right, right. It it looked like you followed um, dirt roads a fair amount too, just old like kind of jeep roads. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, there was there's a a lot of road walking. Maybe maybe up to a quarter of the hike was road walking. Maybe not that much, but there there were some days where you're on the road the entire day. The road walking to me didn't seem like it really detracted from the experience, though. Um, it almost just seemed like a wide trail through a very open area in mm-hmm. many cases. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, even when I was on the road, I was hardly ever seeing people. It might be an occasional Jeep that drives by, but you're still like, yeah, you're still getting a lot of solitude even on the roads. And yep. I was actually, I kind of liked the roads sometimes because the trail was so hard. It was kind of like a nice break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't have to worry about navigation and stuff. Yeah, I saw in in your video too that you ran into like what looked to be a Jeep rally or, you know, or, or <laughs> some, it's sort of like you know, all of a sudden you're in the middle of this like giant Jeep event in the middle of nowhere, right? <laughs> we picked a bad time to start because that was Jeep Week in Moab. Mm. I guess it's this annual thing that they have every year. Okay. And there were literally thousands of Jeeps from all across the country who come there and they just drive around. Yeah, that was so, that was interesting. It's not always like that, but we picked a bad time. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, hey, so let, let's talk about through hikers on the Hey Duke because um, obviously there's there's a through hiker element out there and you were one of a group that were setting out and I guess this uh this was what last last winter I guess uh, last spring oh yeah. it was last spring okay um, spring of 2018 
Okay, okay. I figured it was the colder months because you had some cold weather in there, which we're going to talk about. But um, how many through hikers mm-hmm. are, are doing the Hey Duke right now? Like, you know, how on the radar is it for the kind of through hiker community? It's kind of hard to say. I mean, the year that I did it, if I had to guess, I would say they were maybe 20 other through hikers, 20 to 30, something like that. Hmm, okay. And I think that's probably pretty, that's probably more than usual. Wow, that's that's Maybe not very many. Be more every year. That's not very many, considering the yeah. you know <laughs> the number that are on the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, what what do you think the completion rate is uh, for you know the twenty or thirty or so that head out? It's I'm sure it's really high for the people who decide to do the Hey Duke. They've almost all of them have hiked the PCT or the AT or something at least, so they all at least know what they're doing and they kind of know what they're getting into. Okay. Um, I only heard of, I think, I think I only heard of one other group of hikers who quit. Okay. Um, the year that I did it. Yeah. That, that was a question I had for you that, you know, I, I figured that because of the difficulty of the Hey Duke, most of the people that come out to through hike it have got some experience, right? Um, and it sounds like that experience yeah. experience definitely helps going out there. Yeah, so much of that just comes down to the mentality of it, I think. Like, if you've done a, a through-hike before, then you kind of understand that mentality to just, that it's kind of a grind sometimes. Yeah. You know how to get through that stuff. That's 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 on my list to discuss. Let me let me ask you first, though. Would you recommend the Hey Duke for someone that's doing their first through-hike? Because my takeaway from your film was, hell no. I would not do this as my first through hike. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is one guy out there, and this was his first through hike. Wow. Okay. Um, he's in the he's in the episode. His name's Lucas, and he didn't even have a trail name <laughs> yet. Oh, okay. Um, but he was with his friend Big Wave Dave, who did the PCT, and I think some other big hikes too. So he he at least had a friend with him who was more experienced, and I think Lucas was. A pretty experienced hiker, but just not any through hikes yet. Okay. So, I I guess generally the answer is no, but that's kind of a decision that you have to make on your own, I think. No, I agree. Agreed. Maybe if you've done a lot of desert hiking. (laughs) Yeah, that's. We're gonna talk about that too. Um, I have a. I I really want to dive into the the desert aspect of this because it's it cannot be understated. Some of the challenges you have in the desert, you you don't have elsewhere. Um, what I really like about your film is that you interview one of the co-founders, Mike, uh, Cornella and play back some of his comments at various times in the video, which I thought was brilliant. I thought it was really cool. Can you give a little history of the, um, conception of the Hey Duke and how it was originally mapped and hiked and ultimately how the word has gotten out about the Hey Duke? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll do my best. Um, so these two guys from New Jersey, Mike and Joe, Mike Cornella and Joe Mitchell, um, they moved out to Utah just to be ski bums, basically. They got into hiking, um, and they did their first walk from Arches to Zion in 1998. And Mike was telling us about that a little bit, and he said they were just totally unprepared. They didn't have the right gear, and they didn't really know what they were doing. They didn't have any long-distance hiking experience or anything like that. <laughs> they actually lost their water filter at one point. Ooh. 
he said they like ran out of food, <laughs> but I mean, they did it. And I think after that, that was when they were going to, uh, like hiker conventions, gear trades and stuff like that. And they were kind of telling people about this new route that they came up with. And they were basically just trying to get free gear so they could do it again and kind of solidify the route. <laughs> okay. Um, backpacker magazine got interested and I think some other people and they, they got some free gear and then they did the route again, but this time it was from Zion to arches. They did it backwards. And this time they were much more prepared and they kind of knew what they were doing, but they still planned on going really slow for about an 800 mile hike. They took 101 days. So they were going at a pretty slow pace, but they were kind of just exploring the whole way. Right. Just kind of figuring out like what looked good and what they wanted to include and everything. And yeah, after that, they, he said they pretty much got solicited by a publisher to make a guidebook about the trail. <laughs> so they just, uh, they kind of took the best of both routes, the one they did in 98 and the one they did in early 2000s. Uh, that's what became the Hayduke Trail. And you said there's, they were trying to figure it out initially, which is the title, coincidentally, of your film, right? Figure it out on the Hayduke. Um, and there is a lot to figure yeah, out. Yeah, it's funny how that keeps popping up. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I definitely understand the title there. Um, so the, the Hayduke name actually came from George Washington Hayduke, right? Who was a character in the Edward Abbey Monkey Ranch Gang book. Um, yeah. So... I guess Joe Mitchell is the the other co-founder. Is that right? He and Mike. Yeah. I got you. And Mike's yep. Mike's the guy that you interview in the film, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and and, and um, Mike was saying that Joe Mitchell was like they kind of had a a disagreement towards the end about where they wanted to see the the trail go. Ah. Mike was more about opening it up to the public, and he wanted to see people do it and you wanted to see people out there, but Joe wanted to, I guess, kind of just keep it more protected. Mm. He didn't want to see it get very popularized, so he probably wouldn't be too happy about this. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. But, um, yeah, I guess they did, they just kind of had a disagreement about that. And you mentioned that they did the original hikes and like, I think 94 days was the 98 expedition and then 101 was the 2000 trip but how long does it take your typical hey duke through hiker today like how long did it take you uh it took me 67 days oh, okay and that's still like kind of slow i think a lot of people did it in under two months yeah well i mean you're all obviously filming which you know i noticed in the film you got behind the other through hikers frequently because of your filming so that's understandable um Hey, can you give some mm -hmm. basics on where the Hey Duke starts and ends, just so the listeners, you know, have a better sense of where it goes? Yeah, I think most people start in Arches National Park, like to the southeast corner of Utah. Um, goes through six national parks, and it ends in Zion, which is like the southwest corner of Utah. It pretty much dips down into Arizona just to go through the Grand Canyon. But otherwise, you're in Utah most of the time. Okay. And what what is the total distance of the Hayduke? 
Uh, roughly 800 miles. I guess it depends on what exactly you do. I'm sure not everybody follows the exact same route. <laughs> yeah, and I noticed, and we're going to talk but about yeah, it's around 800. We're going to talk about some of the alternate routes because I noticed, um, you know, that that there are some options to venture in different directions. Um, I will say the Hey Duke in watching your film was much more terrain diverse than I expected. Um, how many national parks? Does yeah, that, me too. How much does it? How many national parks does it traverse? Uh, six. Six. Okay. So it's Arches, Canyonlands, uh, Capitol Reef, uh, Bryce Canyon, Grand Canyon, and then Zion. Okay. And do you generally need permits for the national parks? Uh, technically, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, the the trail or the route goes through. It purposely goes through pretty remote parts of these parks. So usually you're not going to see very many people. Um, the most important one to have a permit for is the Grand Canyon for sure. Yeah, I remember. And there was a... uh, they're really strict there, and you'll definitely be running into rangers and stuff there. Yeah, not a surprise. And I, I noticed you had to piggyback off of uh, another through hikers permit for the Grand Canyon. Now, was that, was that just because you didn't realize you had to have one or because you couldn't get one? Yeah, I couldn't get one. I, I started planning this trip um november 2017 and i hiked it in the spring of 2018 but even starting to plan that early it was already too late to apply for a grand canyon permit wow it's amazing it's like you have to apply like six months in advance <laughs> yeah it's just i guess it's just a popular park there's just that much demand right yeah yeah I, i'm not shocked I, I guess it's understandable yeah no agree yeah I think it's even more so for probably the rafting, uh, which, again, I have some other questions for you on that in a second. Um, mm-hmm. let, let, let me say what really struck me about your movie was how challenging the trail can be, and then second, just how completely different it is than the Appalachian Trail, which seems to get a lot of attention in backpacking podcasts these days. Can you, can you comment on how completely different the Hey Duke experience is from other trails that you've hiked? I don't know if you've hiked the AT, but especially if you can compare it to that. <laughs> yeah, I haven't hiked the AT. I haven't even really been in that area of the country, but just from what I've heard, it's it really couldn't be a more different experience. I mean, first of all, you're on your own. If you're not hiking with a partner, you're not going to see anyone hardly. Like, I've, It's pretty common to go three days without seeing a single person, which is, I I like that part, but it's, that's kind of up to the individual if you like that kind of solitude or not. Yeah, right. And there's absolutely no support. Like I know on the AT, there's shelters everywhere, and you can get into a town every other day, and stuff like that. But on the Hey Duke, there were pretty frequently 100-mile sections, and there's no campsites, nothing like that. It's just you kind of have to find your own spot. And... um one thing people do on the Hey Duke is some people cache supplies, yeah. which is, I think that's a pretty unique thing to the Hey Duke, right. which I didn't do that, but I, I talked to some other hikers who did that, and that kind of seems like the way to go if you can do it. Um, the guys I talked to, they actually just rented a car, and then they, they spent a couple of days driving around the route and burying food and water and stuff pretty much as as far out as they could go and get it next to the route 
Um, and then that way they wouldn't have to find a way into town because the Hey Duke route kind of purposefully avoids towns as much as it can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you want to get into a town, it, it can be pretty difficult. Like it, it'll usually require a pretty long hitchhike or you have to take some alternate route. Yeah, and I noticed you took some alternate routes. Is that is that why? Because um, you know, I remember you went through a, a few towns. Actually, um, is that what drives a lot of the diversions? Uh, you know, alternate routes, basically just to get into town to get resupplied. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a big part of it. And I'd imagine, as the Hey Duke gets more popular and as more people hike it, the route will kind of change a little bit to make it more convenient to get into towns because I don't think I really sacrificed any scenery or hiking quality or anything like that. Cause the routes that I took, at least the one alternate that I took to get into Escalante, that was still really cool. Yeah. Um, I know I missed some cool parts too, but yeah, that's, that's just kind of how it was. Yeah. I actually, I saw another video as I was, you know, after I watched yours, it of course suggested, some other videos on YouTube of the Hey Duke, and there was a guy that seemed like he was having as much fun driving down the dirt roads doing caches for his hike as he was hiking it, you know? So that that was kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, so the Hey yeah, Duke... Yeah, that'd be a fun trip, too. Yeah, well, it was interesting to see the way he did his caches, too. Um, and I, I think the guy had hiked, I think it was like 2009, so his video quality was nowhere nearly as crisp and clean as yours, but... Um, it was interesting to see his whole strategy for that, which I'm sure the listeners could find if they went onto YouTube and looked. But um, mm-hmm. so money shot. Let me ask you this: the Hayduke winds through all these slot canyons and desert washes, and occasionally over mountain ranges. All were insanely pretty. I mean, what were some of the most memorable for you? Yeah, that's hard to choose. <laughs> I mean, going into this hike, I really didn't know what to expect. I mean. Going into any through hike, I try not to have too many expectations to begin with, because you're just no matter what, your expectations aren't going to be right. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I was picturing the desert, I was just kind of picturing this kind of flat, dry, dusty area that where there wasn't much going on. But uh, it's incredibly diverse, and the landscape landscape is really dynamic. Um, trying to think of some some of the highlights. I guess just starting out in arches was just kind of a shock to the system because that's right at the beginning of the trail. Okay. And we just got dropped off like right, right at the North end of the park. And the landscape is just so different trying to adjust to that. It was really interesting. Yeah. Especially coming Um, from Michigan, right? Yeah, exactly. The Michigan winter, I went from cold and snowy straight into the desert. Yeah, but you had some cold weather in there, and we're going to talk about weather. I mean, it looked like you had a fair amount of cold in the beginning. Um, you know, the other thing that really struck mm-hmm. me was some of the interesting history of the Hey Duke. You know, you've got all the Indian ancient pictographs. You've got, uh, you know, decaying Indian-era structures. You've got um, old 1800s kind of settler cabins. I mean, that looked really cool to me. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you kind of comment on some of the, the just old history that's out there too? Cause your film captures it really well. I wish I knew more about that stuff, especially the petroglyphs. I was trying to look up how old a lot of those were and it's, it's hard to find information about it. 
Um, and I have a feeling that a lot of, like, there probably isn't very much information about a lot of these petroglyphs. And there are a few that I found that were, like, just, you could just barely see them. They were so old, and they were in weird places. I was wondering, like, how many people have ever even seen this yeah, <laughs> since yeah. they were made. It kind of, kind of felt like hardly anyone has even seen these. Um, but then, uh, I guess the more recent things, too, there was a lot of Mormon settlements, because it's Utah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, those are kind of interesting, too. Okay. So that was like, I think like early 1800s. Yeah, yeah, I was guessing that. I could see some of the old cabins, you know, and I was trying to imagine what it would be like, you know, being a settler there in the early 1800s, you know. I mean, wow, what an experience that would be. Mm-hmm. Somebody told me, the story goes, um, oh, they were like, because of the Mormon religion, they just kept getting kicked out of wherever they were. Mm. So they just kept moving west because nobody liked that polygamy thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And then they ended up in Utah, and there was nobody there, so they just stayed there. <laughs> okay, interesting. Um, I noticed that, you know, you were basically camping a lot, and you were doing a lot of um, cowboy camping. Um, so there's obviously no shelters like you'd have on the AT, really, on this trail. But what surprised me was that you cowboy camped a lot, and you didn't even get in your tent. Um, I mean, is that what percentage of the time do you think you just kind of camped out on a mat? I think I set up my tent like five or six times on that entire hike. Wow. Because <laughs> there was just no need to. Yeah. Like it hardly ever rained. Yeah. Well, I got to ask um, though, I saw some scorpions buzzing around and I'm immediately thinking like, oh my God, man, I, I don't know if I'd want to be cowboy camping with these scorpions running around, but they, obviously you didn't have any issues. Yeah. I only saw one scorpion the whole time. I was, I was surprised. I thought I was going to see him all over the place. Huh. Um, and the first few nights I set up my tent just cause like, that's what I would do normally. <laughs> yeah, sure. But after a while, you just kind of get used to it. Like, I, mean, I thought I would be worried too, but when you're at the end of the day and you're really tired and it's like, if you don't have to set up your tent and that's just like one less thing that you have to do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of nice sleeping under the stars. I was going to say, you can stare at the stars. the stars. are incredible. Oh man, dude, your film... Mm-hmm. Your photography of the stars is, I think, the most impressive thing that I saw in that entire film. Like, your night filming. How how do you do that, by the way? Those are some of my favorite parts to film, just the, the night time lapses. Oh, they're awesome. Um, yeah, each one requires a whole battery, so that's, that's part of the reason why I had to carry so many batteries. Okay. Because I was doing a time lapse pretty much every night that it was clear. Yeah. Um, and I just I just let my camera go, and I go to bed. All night long, then? Or until the battery dies? Yeah. It usually usually only lasts about three hours before the battery dies. Yeah, it's all you need. I mean, you got some really cool video of that. Um, and you know, the other thing that really struck mm-hmm. me about the Hey Duke was, it didn't really occur to me that you were going to go, go across some legitimate mountains. I think... Uh, Mount Ellen, which is in Utah, is part of the Henry Mountain chain, and it was 11,419 mm-hmm. feet, I believe, which is the highest point on the Hay Duke. But um, how often did you get into snow going across the mountains? Because it looked like a lot of those peaks had a fair amount of snow on them. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that was like a, another kind of shock to the system. <laughs> it's so weird to be down in canyons all the time and then jump up to the mountains and like you're up there on snow-covered peaks looking down at like just red rock landscape. Yeah. It's kind of surreal. But it was really just that one day that there was snow. Um, I think there's one shot where I'm walking on a like a road that's covered in snow, like kind of post-holing. Right, right. And that was really the worst of it. It wasn't that bad. So when you say post holding, were you up to your thighs or your knees or how deep? Uh, probably knees. Okay, that's still yeah. There's there already lot. footprints. That's in still that part. It's still a lot of snow, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in the months you said it was especially sp- when you're not prepared for it. Oh yeah, right. You said it was spring. So are we talking what, like March and April here? What what months are we talking when you hike this? Yeah, I started at the end of March, um, finished at the end of May. Mm. So April and May, mostly. What I noticed was the wild swings of temperature that you had. You had days where it was below freezing. You had some days where it was 100 degrees plus. Um, <laughs> what's what's the hardest to deal with, I guess? Um, usually, I don't mind the cold just because I live up here in the upper peninsula of Michigan. I mean, lately it's been, we've had negative 20 temperatures up here and I'm all right with that, but that's only because I have the clothes for it. (laughs) When you're on a through hike, you don't have the warmest clothes. So the cold temperatures are definitely the harder part to deal with being on a through hike. And there's not much you can do other than just keep moving. Yeah. Trying to, trying to stay warm through activity, I guess. Yeah, and you had some what looked to be insanely hot days in the Grand Canyon. Uh, I re- recall multiple hundred plus degree days. You want to talk about that? Yeah, um, I think it didn't really start getting warm until right around Kanab, which is kind of like from Kanab to the Grand Canyon. That's kind of like the last section before the Grand Canyon. Um, then it started getting warm, and once we got down into the Grand Canyon, it's it's amazing how much the heat rises just as you get lower. Um, <laughs> the, the wildest fluctuation that I felt was uh, one night we camped at Phantom Ranch, which is kind of like a, a really popular spot in between the North Room and the South Room. Uh, we camped down there that night and it was 80 degrees all night, like didn't cool down at all. And it was really uncomfortable sleeping in that. And then the next night, we were up on top of the North Rim, and in the morning, it was 18 degrees. <laughs> so th- that's the difference between the bottom of the Grand Canyon and the top. It's significant, but your elevation difference is, what, like 8,800 feet at the top of the canyon? And then I can't recall what it is down on the Colorado, but it's, what, like 14, 15, somewhere in there? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's about a 5,000-foot difference from the bottom to the top. yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it looked to me like that the heat played a factor on you in the Grand Canyon, but I remember too from your video, you were in Traffic, Utah, which is just outside of Bryce Canyon, I believe. And you had some nasty weather mm-hmm. there. I think you sat, you sat out some wicked weather for five days. Um, and I think wind was part of that. You want to talk <laughs> about that experience? Yeah, that was just kind of bad timing on our part. Um, I think I got into Tropic on 
Saturday, and I had a resupply package waiting there, but I didn't couldn't get that until Monday because post office was closed on Sunday. And I, I got there too late on Saturday, and then on Monday that's when the weather started rolling in. So we're like, okay, we'll wait it out. It'll probably be like two days, and then we ended up staying there for five days <laughs> before the the snow finished. And looking back, I think it probably would have been kind of cool to go through Bryce Canyon in the snow. But uh, either way, it was pretty nice when we went through there anyway. Okay, so that was actually, it was Tropic Utah. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't say that correctly. Um, and it was a snowstorm. It wasn't wind that really, that, that really kept you in town that time. How often was wind a factor, though? Because I saw multiple times that you were dealing with some pretty nasty wind as you were hiking. Yeah, that was another surprise. Like that was something that I I didn't even know could be a problem. <laughs> like living in the Midwest, the wind is never really that big a deal. Might get windy for a day, but it's never very sustained. But out there, there's nothing to break up the wind, so you'll just be like getting buffeted all day, and it just it kind of wears down on your morale. <laughs> yeah, I Blowing noticed. Sand around everywhere, and I get sand in my teeth and everything. Yeah. I was living it with you, man. I saw it like in, in just the way you talk to the camera. Um, hey, you want to talk about water for a minute? Because the water seems to me, of all the reoccurring themes in your entire film, water is consistently something you are challenged with. Um, you talk about <laughs> you talk about it all the time. Can you talk about the, the need for water and the desperation at times on this hike? Yeah. I mean, like, obviously it's a necessity and it's when you're out there and you don't ever know exactly when your next water source is coming up. It's like something that's always, at least it's always in the back of your mind. And out here on the Hey Duke, that was, that was the one thing that I wasn't surprised about. Like, that's a pretty obvious thing. You're in the desert. It's going to be hard to find water. Um, and early on, it was a lot more scary. Uh, later in the trail, I had kind of gained some confidence in being able to find water and kind of knowing that if I just kept going, I'd, I'd uh, kind of come across it eventually. But there are definitely some long water carries, and our our information isn't very good either. That's the other thing. It's like it'd be one thing if I knew for sure when the next water source was, but that was hardly ever the case. Um, a lot of times on the maps, they would kind of like there'd be like a rating system of reliability. Oh, okay. <laughs> like this this water source has a reliability of one, which is like it it might be there if you're lucky, and then this water source has a reliability of four, which is like a river. Oh, so right. you know that it's gonna be there. And most of the water sources were like a reliability score of like two or three. Wow. A chance that it'll be there, but you shouldn't count on it. Wow, like four, so the scale is one to four, or is that right? Zero to four? Yeah, yeah, and um, I forget even what map source I was looking at that said that. Might have mm. been um, Andrew Skirka's map pack. Okay. But yeah, it was from zero to four. Yeah, I, I recall that one scene from your movie where you literally go over this giant boulder with a rope to get back in this little slot canyon where like if somebody didn't tell you there was water there, you'd never, yeah. you'd never know in a million years. Right. 
Yeah, that one was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was on the map. It said that there was a spring. That's all it said. There's a spring, and it like kind of put a dot on the map. Yeah. But I had no idea that it was like way back in that slot canyon. Yeah, that that was but trippy. That one was pretty sweet. I well, spent spent some time there. <laughs> it looked like it. What what was your longest water carry? You mentioned that earlier, like you know, multiple days, or what do you think it was? Um, I should have recorded that because I don't remember exactly, but I think it was around thirty miles. Oh yeah, the longest water carry. So like, probably like a day and a half. Okay, that's legit. I don't think I ever had to camp two nights on one one water carry. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think I remember you carrying six liters in, in one of the one of the films I saw, one of your episodes. What what percent of the time were you thirsty? Because it looked like it was a lot, man. <laughs> um, I don't think I ever let myself. Have, no, I, I did. I let myself run out completely a couple times. Um, there were there were a couple nights there where I camped without any water, hmm. but usually I would. I would go thirsty, but I would still have some water just okay. in case. Yeah. So I was pretty rarely ever walking without water, but there was, I don't know, maybe 25% of the trail I was rationing water. So at least I couldn't be drinking everything I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was the longest period of time you think you went without water? Um,. There's that one time early on when City Shrimp and I got lost when we when we went down the wrong canyon. Oh, I remember <laughs> so that set us back really far. Okay. So that time, I think he had a little bit of water, but I ran out, and I didn't want to take any of his. Um, so I was without water for for that night and probably for a few hours before we camped, uh, and then we found water right away the next morning. Okay. Yeah, that's got to add a lot of anxiety to your hike that you don't get, you know, hiking through the UP or somewhere on the East Coast. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest differences is anxiety is a good good word for it. Yeah. Because <laughs> on those, like, nicely marked trails, it's, it doesn't even cross your mind that you might go the wrong way. Yeah. But on the Hey Duke, especially when you're in the canyons, it's constant. Like, I'm always checking my maps. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, because on the AT, you can kind of space out, right? And not really, uh, on the Appalachian Trail, you can just sort of, like, start listening to music and sort of space out and just start knocking the miles out. But, man, you cannot let your guard down on the Hayduke, can you? Yeah, well, I did that a few times, and I I missed intersections and <laughs> went a couple miles the wrong way and all that stuff. Right. And right. then that anxiety just turns into frustration. Yeah, yeah. Well, can you can you think that the Hey Duke is even do you couldn't do it in the summer, could you? Or you wouldn't want to do it in the summer, I guess. I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be crazy to do it in the summer. Yeah, now, and the, what about the winter? I don't you, know if anyone has. You think it'd be too just brutal? I was in the winter? wondering about the winter. Hmm. Yeah, it would be brutal for sure. In the in the winter time, <laughs> I'm wondering what kind of water conditions there would be. I'm wondering if it would all freeze up. Yeah, that's a good question. Hmm. I noticed you guys were um, getting a lot of water sources that were heavy in like alkaline um, in terms of pH, which one, I think one of the hikers commented that it was like a jump start for diarrhea. How do you, uh, 
I mean, <laughs> how do you adjust to that? I mean, I guess that's the question I have for you. Is uh, you just get used to it, or does your filter kind of sort of straighten that out? Uh, the filter doesn't do anything for that. <laughs> oh. And that was something that when I was researching for Hey Duke, I, I read that there would be alkaline water and stuff, and I knew that it was bad, but I didn't really know what that was right? or what it would taste like. So that was like that was a weird thing to get used to. And apparently that area of the country, I, I think that's kind of the only area that you have to deal with that. Hmm. Um, at least that's the only place I know of. I mean, how how long did it but, take you, take you to get used to that? Or did you? Uh, you don't really. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't. Um, if you find a really alkaline water source, I would take some water from it, just like just in case. But I would try to not drink it. Yeah. So you'll find yourself in a situation where you're you're carrying two or three liters of this stuff, but you don't even want to drink it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you just want to carry that stuff just in case you're carrying all that extra weight, um, but you're planning on dumping it out as soon as you get to the next clean source. Okay. I mean, any any tips for hikers on water? Because water seemed to be a major um, impact on your experience on the trail. Like, do you have any takeaway suggestions? Yeah. That- <laughs> That's what your life revolves around out there. <laughs> yeah, I noticed. I could um, see it. I could see it in every one of your videos, man. I guess the only advice is just to to suck it up and carry the extra weight. Mm. When you find a good source of water, like um, drink as much as you can, first of all, so then you don't have to carry it. Like Drink until you can't anymore. Yeah. And then still fill your backpack up with the water. Yeah. Because that was something that I, I didn't want to do in the beginning like early on in a trail when you're you're not in trail shape and it already feels like your backpack's way too heavy. So you want to like keep it as light as possible and everything. Right. But then if you skimp on the water, then you're really going to regret it later on. And I think I said later on, like this was right at the end of the trail after I filled up on like six liters of water that my backpack's really heavy, but that's what peace of mind weighs. Yeah. And, that was kind of the attitude I took towards the end. It's like, I don't even care that it's heavy, but I know that I have water and I would rather have that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I remember that part of your film there actually. So Alex dealing with water scarcity in the wild swings and weather is, is challenging enough, which we've already talked about. We need to talk about some of the other hazards you face like navigation. We've hinted on that a few times. <laughs> Can you talk about some of the tools you use to uh, find your way out there? You know, maps, GPS, that that sort of thing, what you carried? Yeah. Um, it was mostly, well, paper maps and GPS. Um, starting out, I definitely tried to do the paper maps um, strictly. And that's when Fiddy and I ended up going the wrong way for like four miles. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, at, at that point, that was kind of a, a wake-up call for us. Uh, we kind of realized like how easy it is to go the wrong way. Because uh, we, we got to this one intersection where we had to leave the road and drop down into a canyon. And we didn't even second-guess ourselves. We were like, okay, there's a canyon, so we go down there. And we never even looked at the maps after that, which was a big mistake. <laughs> 
uh, we hiked the whole afternoon after that, and then we realized we were going the wrong way. And then that's when I pulled out my phone and realized how far off we were. Uh. So, yeah, yeah, that was a wake-up call. And after that, I started using my phone more often. Um, still just kind of like a way to check. I was trying to use the paper maps primarily. Okay. But I would definitely be checking my phone throughout the day just to make sure I was doing it right. And so by paper maps, you're saying basically that you had printed topo maps? Is that is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, paper maps and a compass. Okay, gotcha. You didn't have like a Nat Geo map that you bought? Well, I guess you couldn't, right? Because a lot of these areas, are they're not in a national park. You're going through a couple national monuments, right? Yeah. Um, well, I guess there were National Geographic maps, but it was just a a series of like, I don't know, 40 pages that I printed off. It, it all, that's what, uh, all came in the Andrew Skirk, uh, map pack okay. that I bought for this trail. Gotcha. But, so he kind of, he plotted out the whole route on these maps. Um, and I just printed those off. So, I mean, it sounds like that's a good source. You buy, you buy a map pack from him. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be pretty much the only source as far as, uh, paper maps go, uh, and they're getting kind of outdated at this point. And there's a lot of information in there. It's definitely a, a necessity, I think, for if you're going to hike the Hayduke. Okay, interesting. Um, and you mentioned Fitty Trent before. I know you hiked with him on the uh, Pacific Northwest Trail, and we talked about him in the last episode. Um, but he he basically, after I don't know how many days it was, he he had had enough, and he. He went home. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't blame him at all. I mean, he he has a really bad fear of heights, <laughs> and I found that out on the PNT. There was a. It was kind of funny how it happened. I didn't. Nobody knew anything about this, and then we had to hike this knife edge ridge. It's like a thousand foot drop on either side. Mm. And. It really wasn't super challenging, but it was just like the mental aspect of it, like knowing how big the fall was on either side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> His legs got really shaky. <laughs> oh, man. That, um, I, I don't know how I would do in that situation, to be honest. I've done some of that in Zion, but there's chains that you can hold on to, and I didn't like it with the chain to hold on to. So, oh, I, yeah. Was that Angel's Landing? Uh, it was. It was right in that area. But I I, I completely understand, okay. I understand 100% what Fitty Shrimp is thinking. Believe me, I I can relate. I yeah. get it. So are you yeah. are, are you saying if <laughs> yeah. you if you're not a fan of That's heights, kind of how it happened. If you're not a fan of heights, this is not the trail for you. Yeah, not at all. Mm. <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot of a lot of cliffs that wow. you have to contend with. Okay. And kind of sketchy climbs and descents and stuff. Yeah. Like, we saw a little bit of that in Arches, and that was when uh, we were with my other friends, too. So it really wasn't that big of a deal. But then after we left Arches and we were more on our own, we were, like, we were way out there at that point. Wow. And then you, you really start to feel alone, and, like, if something does happen, you're kind of on your own. Yeah. And there were there were a bunch of parts in that area where we had to lower our packs and go down cliffs and stuff like that yeah yeah i saw the i saw the video of that um and you got lost on more than one occasion the most draining was near the end of your hike when you 
I think what you took you a few times to get out of that canyon, right? <laughs> that looks so frustrating. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> uh, I guess so. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how much of that was my fault or how much of that was uh, reading the maps wrong or what. It should have been easy. Like, it shouldn't have been any harder than any other part of the trail, but I just kind of screwed up, like, way too many times in a row. <laughs> and so that made it super frustrating. But this was in the uh, Virgin River Canyon. It, it was on the second to last day of the hike. I think that was probably part of it, too, was that my mentality going into this was that I was just going to kind of stroll through and then finish the next day. I was, like, all excited about that. But then I just couldn't figure out how to get out of this canyon. <laughs> There's a route that I was looking for called Fat Man's Misery, which is kind of a funny name. So I knew that it was going to be a challenging route. <laughs> and I got to this one slot canyon that had like a river flowing through it. And it was really narrow. So that's why I thought it was Fat Man's Misery. Because I'm like, oh, a fat man wouldn't want to go in here. It's really narrow. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so... I went up that, and there were some really deep pools of water that were, like, chest deep. And I, I'm holding my pack above my head, trying to walk through those pools and, like, climbing over boulders. That was, like, really challenging. It was, like, some of the hardest climbing I did on the entire hike, only to find out that there was, like, dead ends after that. And I had to turn around and then go through the whole thing again. And then on the way out, um, I actually just ended up swimming through one of the other pools and kind of like floating my backpack on the water. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so feeling super defeated, I just had to camp in the Virgin River Canyon that night. Then the next morning, I still had to find a way out of there. I went up the canyon, kind of going back to a spot that I saw that looked like it might have been possible, just kind of like a crack in the wall. Um, tried to climb up that and that was a pretty dangerous climb probably something I shouldn't have been doing <laughs> uh, but I was getting kind of desperate at that point um, and then just found a dead end up there so I had to go back down then I went back to the slot canyon that I tried the night before and realized that there was kind of like a loose scree route that I could climb up um, right next to the slot canyon and I even saw footprints going up that. And oh. so I thought for sure that that was it. The, he I, the I head thought fake. I was an idiot for not noticing that the night before. Oh. <laughs> and, That's frustrating. So it, it was just like so many ups and downs. I got up to the top of that scree route, convinced that I had made it out of the canyon, and just like so happy and celebrating. And then I realized I was on the wrong side of the canyon. <laughs> oh. And then that's when things got kind of weird. Like once I realized that I was on the wrong side of the canyon, I couldn't even figure out how to get back down. It was, it was kind of surreal. It was really weird. It almost felt like the, the landscape that I had just come up had like changed on me or something. Yeah. I didn't even recognize the route that I just came up. So I kind of had to take a break and just gather myself <laughs> Uh, look around eventually I found a way back down so now I'm back down right in front of the slot canyon for the third time 
And then I saw another crack in the wall that was on the other side of the canyon that looked impossible the first time I looked at it. But once I looked closer, I figured out that that was probably the right way. And that, that was actually Fat Man's Misery. <laughs> so then I climbed up there and I got out of there finally. You know, um, money shot. I got to say, if I'm a listener, I, I don't think we're really selling the Hey Do Care, which to be fair is, is, uh, with all the challenges, it's, it's such a scenic trail that, um, <laughs> you got to hear the good and the bad, but you know, you got to watch your video to really appreciate how beautiful it is and why you got to suffer through the hazards to, you know, get the benefit of the, the scenic experience. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It makes the scenery that much better, too, because you feel like you've earned it. And you're the only one out there. Um, in a lot of these areas, it's so remote. You're the only one out there seeing it, so you have it all to yourself. and that, That's what really makes it worth it for me. Hey, so listen up, Appalachian Trail and Pacific Crest Trail hikers, because if you're surrounded by thousands of people, this might be the trail for you if you're looking for more solitude. Yep. <laughs> You just have to earn it. <laughs> yes. You pay for it. Hey, so let me ask you another question that um, I definitely crossed my mind multiple times. So you hiked with Fitty Shrimp early on, and then you hiked with number two all the way through the Grand Canyon. But some before that, um, would you recommend hiking with another person on this trail? I guess the safe answer is yes, for sure. <laughs> Um, most people seem to do that. Um, I think it really just kind of depends what you're looking for. I might be kind of weird, and I, I like solitude a lot, and I, I really like doing this stuff on my own. Uh, I like hiking with people, too, but there's I feel like there's a totally different experience when you hike alone. Yeah, agreed. And it's, it's something that can't really be substituted in any other way. Would you agree that mm -hmm. ca camping alone at night is also uh, very different than when you're with other people? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think when you're in, like, bear country, then then it's really different, camping alone versus with people. You yeah, definitely feel a lot safer. <laughs> That's true. Well, I think there is some safety camping in Camping with people in bear country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's so freaking dry. I actually had some questions for you about animals. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to save them because uh, um, I have a, a a few questions directly to that point. Let me ask you again about the Hayduke through hikers, though, because it seems like you did run into a few on the trail, but mostly you met them in town. Um, is is that is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I met I met most of them in Tropic during that five-day stay there. Because <laughs> ah. we were there so long, everybody was kind of cycling through. Yeah, and with, with your filming, though, what percentage of the time do you think you you hike the Hey Duke solo? I mean, obviously, you've, you, know, you, you take a lot more time if you're hiking a section three times to film it. Um, but you think you were alone like 70% of the time? Yeah, 70% is probably fair. Maybe 70 to 80% Wow. of the time alone. Wow, that's a lot of thinking time there, my man. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Hey, so, so on that's that... kind of why I'm out there. 
Yeah, well, I like agree. That. I agree, man. It's a, the, you. You want to get to know yourself, then that's a great. That's a great way to do it. I mean, but being alone like that in an yeah. in an environment with the hazards that you have, you you. I think I remembered from your film that you were carrying a personal locator beacon, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably. I mean, I guess it's not necessary, but it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Was there ever was there ever a that, point that gave me a lot of security? Was there ever a point where you thought you might flip it? <laughs> uh, when Fiddy and I got lost that first time early on, we we talked about it. Really. It wasn't very serious, but it was brought up. Yeah. Once we realized how far away we were from water, um, yeah, that's when it got kind of serious. Yeah. I mean, it's good to have a backup plan, and that's a good one. Um, hey, yeah. so another hazard that I guess I am not shocked about, but I kind of forgot about, was quicksand. Um and, and I think you yeah. you poked your stick in a stream when you were kind of demonstrating the quicksand in one of the areas. I mean, did you check the news in the last week? Because there was a hiker in Zion National Park, which is the western terminus of the Hey Duke for the listeners, that uh, was rescued um, only a few days ago uh, because he got in quicksand. And he has hiking partner. Fortunately, he had one. Um, had to hike four hours out to get help, and then they brought a helicopter in and got the person out. But... Can you comment on quicksand? Because I had completely <laughs> forgotten that that was a legitimate concern, right? Yeah, I think I did see that. It was, I just kind of briefly skimmed over it. Um, there, I mean, there was quicksand out there. I don't think it's a super big deal as long as you're kind of aware of like, what to look for. It's basically whenever there's running water, just kind of be careful on the sand in that area. Uh, but there are a couple parts where... There's one part where I sunk up to my hip like immediately. There was wow. it was really weird. There was no friction. Wow. I just took one step and all the way down to my hip. <laughs> wow, man. Um, but luckily it was hard underneath that and I was able to jump out right away. You know, the more we talk about it's the, a real concern. The more we talk about the Hey Duke money shot, the more it sounds like the real deal. Like, you know. <laughs> well, in that part I was actually off the trail technically. I was I was okay. doing a little uh, side canyon exploration. <laughs> we'll put an asterisk on that, but uh, you know, it's still I'm gonna still keep it in the other hazards part of the discussion. Um, and you know, the other thing that I guess I'm not shocked about, but because you're in these slot canyons, you you know, you kind of need rope at times. And I saw that there were some ropes that were preset, but did, do you need to carry a coil of rope when you hike to navigate some of these areas? Yeah, you definitely have to carry some. I had paracord on me, like, I don't know, 30 or 50 feet of paracord. And that was enough, but with a heavy pack, paracord's pretty skinny, and it it hurts. (laughs) Ah. Um, But it was really nice. There were some parts where there was rope there already. Yeah, it hurts. That was pretty helpful. It hurts on your hands, you mean, right? Yeah, yeah, just because it's skinny. If you had, like, thicker rope, it'd be easier to hold on to. Okay. Um, and you know, the other thing I didn't even think about, I noticed you flagged down some rafting companies when you got down to the Colorado, which I guess this was mainly in the Canyon, Grand Canyon. Um, I mean, is there any risk that you Mm -hmm. can get stuck for a while, like trying to get across the river at some of these major river crossings where there's no bridge and you're, there's no way in hell you're wading it. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, there was, I guess there was talk of people discussing whether it was possible to wade across, but that water is so cold. <laughs> I don't think it's a good idea at all. It's so, fast. It's fast too, right? Yeah, there's, there's, there's one part. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fast. There's one part where you, you do have to cross and you have to wait for a, a rafter or something to come by. And I mean, in the springtime, it's pretty popular. So at most you'd have to wait really not even a day, like half a day. I think Dude, it's we still... waited like an hour. That's still a half a day though, man. You only waited an hour. So you guys got lucky and the rafters are super cool about, about hauling you. Yeah. Yeah. Every, everybody I ran into in the Grand Canyon was super friendly. All they wanted to do was give you stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, man, I remember in your in your movie that you were, they hooked you up with like a bunch of salmon. I mean, it sounded like you ate like kings and beer, right? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that was uh, it was sort of an accident, sort of sort of on purpose. <laughs> yeah, because um, like they'll just pull over on the side of the river, like they'll find a sandbar, okay, and they'll pull over and they'll have two or three big rafts. And it's like a, a big group of people, right? And it's it's really amazing what like what kind of stuff they'll bring down there. Everybody sleeping on cots, Ugh. and they've got a full buffet set up and like gourmet dinners. <laughs> Everybody's got lawn chairs. <laughs> yeah, I want to convince my family to do it because <laughs> uh. they're not cheap. Hey man, so we haven't even talked about that. But, I didn't realize when you say family, are you married? No. Oh, okay. You mean family? Yeah, I'm only okay, I got you. You you mean the greater family? I got you. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that sounds like a great experience. I'd love to take my kids on that. That sounds really fun. Yeah, it would be awesome. That's that's a really cool way to see the Grand Canyon too. Hey, so as a way to wrap up, what I would say the other hazards beyond water and beyond uh, weather, which are legit. Um, I wanted to just ask you, one of the great ironies of, of the film that I watched was that you got the most injured where? It wasn't on the trail. It was in town. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> I mean, that, that to me is comical uh, in a way. Not really, but I will. Mm. It, it's funny. It's funny for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that happened in traffic during our, our long stay there, and... It was weird. I had a scab on my hand, and I was just kind of picking scabs off. And um, I'm really squeamish. It's something I've just kind of dealt with my whole life. I just I just can't handle blood sometimes. And when I picked that scab, it started bleeding a lot. And the weird part was how thin my blood was. It was like like running, like bleeding really fast. Hmm. And so I was like, oh, that's weird. I should go wash that off. So I went in the bathroom started washing it off but then I got <laughs> really lightheaded and the next thing I knew I woke up on the bathroom floor oh. I passed out and must have knocked my head somehow and gave myself a pretty good black eye <laughs> I saw it in the film so I, that is that yeah. is a, that is a great irony so though I right deal with that for the next couple of weeks <laughs> you, you got all these dangers out on the hay duke and you, you your biggest injury comes in in town that's uh ironic but Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I was comfortable there. Let my guard down. <laughs> I guess, man. So let, let's get back to your film. Um, what, what I what I really liked about your film was that, you know, 
you, you really, man, I feel like I'm right there with you. Like I'm, I'm experiencing the highs and lows as you're experience, experiencing them. You tell it like it is. You're, you're very honest and you're very humble. Um, I mean, in a sense, is the camera like your companion on this hike? Yeah, it probably is in a way, because I guess this is kind of how it's evolved. Um, with the hikes that I've done, this is the stuff I'm always thinking about. And with the camera, I can actually uh, try and formulate those thoughts into words. And it's been kind of a a good tool to actually like uh, think through this stuff and make it kind of coherent. Because I think a lot of this, like, when you're out in the wilderness, just kind of uh, thinking about stuff, you don't really formulate it into words. But um, when you have to actually say it out loud, it helps you actually, like, solidify these ideas. And it, it's been a good tool for me to actually, like, figure out what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I guess you, it's similar to writing in that way. You, well, you know, one thing you did, too, that really helped me watching your film was the maps and the animation that you did so I could understand the route and what you were dealing with and where you were going and how far you'd hiked. How do you do, how do you do those animation? I'm, I might ask you this on your previous hike, but to me that was very helpful. I think it's a great addition to your, to your film. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure how good those turned out or how, how much they actually communicate, <laughs> but um, that's like the actual GPS track that personal locator that I was carrying. Ah, okay, that's, okay. That's just like, that's the online map. So any, anybody can go look at that map. Yeah. And um, I just took screenshots of that map, and then in After Effects, I animated it. Yeah, what do, what do you use to animate that, just out of curiosity? Because that was really cool. It definitely helped me understand, like, okay, here here's where he is, here's where he's going, and here, you know, I could follow your track, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just took like a before and after screenshot of like before I uh, hiked the trail and then after I hiked it when the route went through and then uh, in After Effects, I just kind of masked it out and animated the line getting drawn on. Hmm, okay. So what was cool about that was I actually got to see where every single time I made a wrong turn and everything, <laughs> and there were a lot of times where I didn't even realize I was off the trail. <laughs> yeah, you know, I could see that actually in uh, especially the later part of your film like when you went way off the trail, right, and came back, like you went off way far to the right, and then you came back. It was it was interesting. It definitely added to the the whole <laughs> the whole show. Um, and I want to say all the zigzags where I should have been going straight. <laughs> exactly, that's what I mean, right? Um, the the other thing that I enjoyed mm -hmm. was, um, and we haven't talked about wildlife much at all, but you know, there's a surprising amount of wildlife in the desert that you wouldn't think is there, like the elk. Deer, coyotes, you had some rabbits, you had snakes, we talked about scorpions, but oh my god, cattle, dude. You said mm -hmm. you look like you ran into cattle all the time. Is that true? Yeah. It's yeah, a, there's there's cattle everywhere. Which that was a big surprise. Yeah, I, didn't, a, I didn't even know that. I didn't a, even know cattle could survive out there. That's what shocked me. <laughs> that was that's where I was going with this. I couldn't believe that the cattle were able to survive these brutal summers, or do you think that they herd them up and get them out of there? Yeah, they definitely herd them up, and and they don't all survive. There is a lot of dead cattle that I came across. Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's harsh on them for sure, 
yeah. doesn't really seem like the best place to be raising cattle. And and they do soil the water sources really badly in a lot of places. Hmm. Yeah, you had... But at the same time, these cattle ranchers are the ones who, like, dig the wells, and they're the only reason that there are water sources in the first place yeah. a lot of times, so kind of bittersweet yeah you had some very gnarly water sources at times like with rats floating in them with uh all kind of <laughs> little uh insect creatures uh buzzing around i mean i mean man i gotta tell mm-hmm. you this is for the listeners it is an experience to watch your film like the hour and a half version i'm sure is going to condense it but i enjoyed the 10 episode version so for the record you know, the other thing I liked that you had in there, and I've been to Petrified National Forest before, was a lot of people forget this area was once a lush, super vegetated area. And um, you, you had some pictures of these old trees that are essentially pieces of rock now, which were really cool. You you want to talk about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I spent a lot of time just trying to imagine, like, what made the landscape the way it is because it's it's like so uncovered out there um just the effects of weathering and stuff you can see it all and you can see it all, all down into the layers of the earth and everything and that was really cool and then uh, where the petrified wood that i found was that was an egg canyon which is actually one of the alternates uh, to get into escalante and that was a surprise. I didn't even know that stuff was going to be there. So that was that was one of the high points of the trail. Just coming across that as a surprise was pretty cool. When you see that stuff for the first time, it's pretty interesting, right? Especially if you've never seen it before. For the listeners, Petrified National Park, if you ever get out in the southwest, is is it's really kind of cool. And it, you don't have to hike very far to see a lot of interesting um, rock formations, right? But it's just hard to believe that that area was so mm-hmm. green and lush at one time. Um, yeah, like I could tell that those were huge pine trees at one time. Yeah. And there were no pine trees in the area. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you it's know, I think... It's crazy to think of that change. Well, I think the takeaway for the Hey Duke is just, man, there is a there is a lot to see. It, it It's an injustice to be talking about it when you could be seeing it with your your film so i think that that maybe is a message i'd like to convey here um hey so let's talk about lessons because man there's some really good lessons and and some of the through hikers talked about talked about them in your in your uh movie but one of the hikers that you you interview talks about living with less on the trail and in life and i really like that mm-hmm. you, you've done a few long distance trails in the last three years um I mean, have have you kind of been able to take that to heart and incorporate that into your lifestyle? Yeah, it's it's kind of just the way I I view reality at this point is kind of like through the filter of a through hike or just a wilderness experience in general, I guess. Um, I think it's like super valuable to just kind of remember what shaped us in the first place and try and... Um, just view your regular life through that because it's so easy to get wrapped up in all the distractions and all the fast paced things that are going on in everyday life. Um, but yeah, when you think about where you came from, it's, it's kind of, uh, it helps you put everything in, into perspective and 
as far as how I've uh, built that into my own life, I guess I just try not to acquire too many things. Like I have a lot of nice gear when it comes to outdoor gear and camera gear and computer gear and stuff like that. Everything I buy, I try to have it be for like a useful purpose for um, something that I can actually use to make something. But other than that, I, I try to keep it pretty minimal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's something to be said for that for sure. I mean, anyone that's done a long distance trail can appreciate the highs and lows too, that you, you experience sometimes in a single day. Um, I think when I, I remember from your film, one of the hikers claims that the highs are high on the Hey Duke and the lows are really low on the Hey Duke. Um, so, I mean, in terms of the Hey Duke specifically, would you agree with that? Yeah, <laughs> I guess if there's any trail where you're going to experience those super high highs and low lows, it's probably the Hey Duke. And yeah, it, it just makes you appreciate the highs so much more. Yeah, and and you you I think early in the film talk about stoke level a lot, which I take means that you know you're excited versus like extremely unhappy. Um, and <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, well, one thing that was very clear to me, I think any long distance trail is is it's a mental roller coaster. I mean, obviously it's hard physically, but I think mentally it's it's even tougher. And we talked about a lot of the reasons, right? You know. Um, when do you think your stoke level was at the highest and when do you think it was at the lowest? And I'm going to guess the lowest was when you got lost, but I'll let you answer that one. Yeah. Yep. I got to give Fiddy Shrimp credit for the, the stoke level thing. That was uh, his thing that he introduced and I thought it was really funny. <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest Trail, did you do stoke level in that too? Or was this new to your Hey Duke uh, film? I think this, I think this was new. For the Hey Duke, unless Fiddy said it earlier, and I just don't remember, but yeah, he he just came up with it out of the blue. <laughs> I like it. Uh, right when we were in Arches. Your maximum versus your minimum stoke level. So the minimum for sure was that time I was lost in the Virgin River Canyon that second to last day. Oh, you looked that was, it. That was very low. You looked it, man. <laughs> you looked beat down. You looked yeah. you looked just dominated. What what about your highest? <laughs> that was for sure. What was your highest when you were getting served? The surfed? highest was a few times when I found water. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? That's, that's really all it took. Yeah. Damn. It, I don't think it had anything to do with the scenery. I mean, there were obviously some amazingly beautiful parts, and those were awesome. But yeah. as far as my mood, my I was in the best mood when I had found water, and I had been looking for water for a whole day wow. or something like that. There were a couple times like that. I, I was going to guess your max stoke level was when you got served a beer and some salmon by rafters, but water is uh, a higher stoke level. Interesting. Understandable. Yeah, that was that was a high point for sure. Mm. Like, that was just like kind of nice. It, it didn't feel like I needed it <laughs> when I got the salmon. Wow, man. That, that is a great statement right there that when you're out there on a long distance hike, it's not it's not your once, it's your must-haves right that really matter <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah because that was all i had been thinking about for like 12 hours or whatever however long i was looking for water and then once you find it it's amazing stoke level 10 yep. <laughs> hey so another thing that i heard in your film from a through hiker was a statement that chaos keeps you thinking it keeps you from being weak it keeps you from being lazy. 
I love that comment. Yeah. Um, you want, you want to, what do you have to say about that? I thought it was great. You obviously put it in the movie for a reason. Mm. I think that kind of just goes to, um, another similar theme in the movie, which is like comfort versus discomfort and how in our, our regular lives now, like everything is kind of made for comfort and we're, we're kind of like sold this illusion that success means being comfortable and like everything's always nice all the time. And in the wilderness, it's just, it's just not like that. <laughs> and you realize that like there's highs and lows and that's just kind of part of the process. And if you're comfortable all the time, it, it means that you're not experiencing anything new. So that's why you kind of have to like introduce some chaos in a controlled way if you can, I think, <laughs> which is a hard thing to do. But if you can, if you can introduce controlled chaos um, into your life and uh, kind of learn how to manage that, I think uh, there's a lot of rewards to be gained from that. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. And I, I love that he said it keeps you from being weak and lazy. I thought that was really interesting. And I, I completely agree with that statement. Uh, you know, the other thing that I liked, and I think this was one of the co-founders, Mike uh, Cornella, said that wilderness is freedom. And I think there's a lot of truth there. Uh, and obviously the Hey Duke offers wilderness like most people haven't ever seen in the in the country, especially the people who live on the East Coast. Um so I saw recently that some of the national monuments that the Hayduke goes through got shrunk. Um, I mean, I don't know if you have any ideas on how listeners can kind of help uh, preserve that, but that yeah, you know, it sounds like a little disappointing if you're someone that you know wanted to take take to take on this trail, right? Yeah, yeah, it is definitely disappointing. Um, I know bears ears. A national monument that got cut by like 85% and Grand Staircase Escalante got cut by I think nearly 50%. Um, but as far as what you can do about it, I, I'm really not that sure. I know you could call your congressman and uh, talk to them about it, um, see if they're willing to do anything to try and bring some of that stuff back. But that's something that I, I wish I knew more about. Uh, I'm really not sure what can be done about that at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's all political. I mean, I guess you're probably on the right track, right? you got to reach out to uh, the political powers that make those decisions. Um, yeah, I know there's a lot of mining interest in that area, too. There's coal and everything. Some people think that that's why um, the monuments got cut. Yeah, a lot of competing interests. So that I would mean, really suck to see. Yeah, I mean, if you lose those areas, I mean, how, how much do you think that would affect the Hayduke? I'm not sure specifically as far as how close that stuff goes to the route, but I can say that um, where I was hiking, I actually saw some places where there was coal coming out of the ground. Hmm. <laughs> so I, I can imagine um, that there's probably a lot of interest in those areas. Yeah. God, isn't that amazing that there's all that coal there? And that must get back to when the area was uh, lush and green and, you know, uh, you know, you would not figure mm -hmm. all the coal for being there, I guess is my point. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. Hey, so I noticed that when you were hiking, you had headphones on, you know, at times where you're obviously listening to music or 
maybe podcasts or, you know, obviously something to kill the time, not kill the time, but pass the time. Um, do you ever yeah. listen to, do you ever listen to backpacking podcasts when you hike? I don't. Oh, well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting enough of backpacking when I'm out there. I was going to say, I figure if you're out there, you're probably not listening to them. What about when you're off the trail? Actually, not even so much off the trail. Really? Um, usually when I'm off the trail, I'm just pretty preoccupied with work and uh, whatever I have going on. Yeah, no, understandable. I was just curious. Um, is is there a section of the Hey Duke that you like the most? Like, you, I think you mentioned the Grand Canyon. Was the Grand Canyon the, the best part of your hike? Because it looked like it was the hottest. Yeah. Yeah, that was the highlight for sure. Um, I'm trying to think what was my favorite part. Probably the most exciting part was uh, the third entrance into the Grand Canyon because the Hey Duke has you go from top to bottom three times. Oh, brutal. And the third time I was going down was the roughest for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of elevation. Um, well, that's when there's a lot of plunge pools. And there's bushwhacking and stuff like that. Ah. And number two and I did that part together, and we had been talking about that for a long time. It, it was really hyped up, and it was kind of like the thing that all the everybody was talking about for the probably two or three weeks before that. So we were all kind of nervous and not really sure what to expect. Uh, but then we went through it all, and it actually ended up being super fun. Uh, it was really exciting. <laughs> so a lot of cool stuff. So number two, we talked about him earlier. Did he get his trail name from what I think he probably got his trail name from? Do you know? Uh, probably yes and no. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, so he was actually a biologist, and he was working in the Galapagos discovered, oh. uh, studying Darwin's finches. Okay. Um. So he was like living on those islands and there's not much out there. So he said that he was uh, looking in bird nests all day and uh, he was covered in bird shit all the time. Uh-huh. Number two, <laughs> there you go. Number two. I gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> and he said that the ocean is your toilet. <laughs> oh, okay. Now it's coming back to me because I think you actually talk right. about that in the film. Um, mm-hmm. Did yeah, you? said it washed up on the shore. <laughs> yeah, right. So you, um, you obviously went into trail towns from time to time. Um, did, did you have a favorite? Probably Moab is probably the coolest town, but that was like right away. That was just outside of Arches. That was like the third day of the hike. So I, I didn't really need it that bad. Okay. So I didn't appreciate it. <laughs> but Moab is definitely the coolest town. I gotcha. And other than that, the, the trail towns aren't that great, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, they look small. There, there's not much out there. They they did not look yeah. very big. The ones that I saw on your uh, on your film. Um, it sounds like the townspeople like yeah. were really kind of jacked up about Hey Duke through hikers though. Like the the ones that would run into you sounded like they really appreciated. Like, wow, that's really cool. You know, it's not like they're worn down from thousands of through hikers coming through. Is that, is that kind of true? Yeah. Yeah. Most people aren't even aware of the trail. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, they're kind of excited to hear about your stories and everything. Yeah, I'm sure, man. Which which brings me to my next question, and we're yeah. kind of we're kind of hitting the closing questions here. But um, so they're excited to hear about your adventure. What was the craziest thing that happened to you out there? I was trying to think of that. There's, I mean, the whole hike is a crazy experience, but there wasn't a lot of crazy events. Um, maybe the craziest thing that I saw <laughs> was a, a car that was stuck up in the top of a slot canyon. That was kind of weird. <laughs> you, you know, you had, and it was an old one too. It was like from the 1950s. Yeah. You had a great, you had some great video of that, by the way. So once again, listeners, you got to go <laughs> yeah. check the video out because we can sit here and talk about this all day long, but you got to see it. Um, but yeah, that was cool. I mean, you think somebody just thought they could jump the slot and missed? <laughs> I, I looked up that story. Um, kind of a sad story actually it happened in 1954 oh really and there are three guys driving in this jeep and i think i'm not sure if there was a road going over the slot canyon already or if there was like sort of a road i mean the the slot at that point is so narrow you could almost just jump it with the car and i think they tried doing that uh. and the car stalled and it started going backwards and they just slid into the slot and everybody died Oh man, they died in there. Yeah, I didn't see that coming, man. I figured they would have gotten out. No. Wow. So they nope. they they probably yeah, they made it. they drove their car into into the slot, got it stuck, and then got down in the slot. Probably right. I, the story said that one of them fell out of the car, so there was one guy at the bottom, and the other two just got crushed. Wow. I'm, I'm sure you're not going to try to drive, drive a car across the slot anytime soon, but wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then they just built the road on top of it. They didn't even try removing the car. Yeah. That is, that is in terms <laughs> of craziest things you saw in the Hey Duke, that, that, would, that would apply. Um, hey, so if someone, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to listen to this and like be really fascinated, and they should be with the Hey Duke, what, what resources would you recommend? them to look into other than your film, which is a great resource, I might add. Um, it sounds like Skirka's maps are good. Um, what what else do you got? Yeah. Yeah, what I used mostly was Skirka's maps and uh, Mike and Joe's guidebook. Okay. Uh, Those are the co-founders we talked about. what it's called exactly, but... Yep. But yeah, Mike Carinella and Joe Mitchell. Okay. Uh, I think it's just called the, the Hey Duke trail guide or something like that okay and so i kind of use that and andrew skirka's maps in conjunction and i know there's an app too called the HikerBot app I, I never used it and i know some people are using it but they said it wasn't super accurate hmm. but that that's kind of like another resource you can have and skirka includes uh gps waypoints so you can okay. plug that into your phone too okay and then other than that, there's there's a lot of blogs and stuff out there that will give you good information about water sources. And whatever year you do it, you have to, like, try and be as up-to-date to pos- as possible as you can about the water sources because they change so dramatically every single year. Yeah, I could see that. Um, 
So, you know, the other thing that struck me about the Hey Duke was when you finish, there's not like a grand sign to congratulate you on your amazing accomplishment. Um, did that matter to you or other through hackers you talked to? It's the weeping wall. Isn't the weeping wall? Not really. It didn't matter. Okay. I yeah. <laughs> I, I figured, but yeah, I had to ask. Wall, which is it's kind of a funny name for the end. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> cool. It actually looks kind of cool, um, though. Yeah. I guess, I, I guess I'm kind of used to it because the end of the PNT was kind of the same way. It's just like not anything that spectacular. And it's just like, okay, now I'm, I'm done. Hike's over. You know, that's that's kind of how you ended your movie, though. It was sort of like, I'm done, I'm out of here, and you just sort of fade away. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, you ended yeah. the movie like it seemed like it ended. There's no, there's nobody there to hug you or pat your back or a big sign to get a picture by. There's a bench with water coming down a cliff, and that's it, man. Fair to say? <laughs> yep. Wow. Yep. And that was the feeling that I had. It, it's such a weird mix of emotions it's like you're you're really triumphant and happy that you finished but at the same time it's like now the hike's over and i have to go back to regular life and like that's not super exciting yeah yeah <laughs> and i think the, the biggest lesson to take away is that um everything that makes a through hike worth it is what happens in between the beginning and the end and so when you get to the end it's just like now it's over and that's really all that that means you know, Alex, you said something that really kind of triggered with me, and that was uh, when I did when I did the Appalachian Trail, and it's been many years ago, ninety four. But um, you know, I spent six months out there, and uh, I mean, uh, man, to this day, I could tell stories forever. And before I did the Appalachian Trail, I'd worked for six years, and I don't know if I could really tell you anything super interesting about those six years work wise, right? But it's amazing when you, um, yeah. and I guess this gets back to, we were talking about lessons from the trail, um, how like, uh, you know, how those experiences, um, I don't know, man, they're just rewarding in a way that are hard to describe. Um, yeah, exactly. So Alex, I guess what I'm saying is that one, and one of your hikers said this in the film earlier, right? Chaos keeps you thinking, it keeps you from being weak and lazy. And um, I think that's just really true about about a through hike. I, that's where I was going with that statement, I guess. Back to the Hey Duke, though. How how was it like you thought it would be and how it was completely different? Because it sounded like there were a lot of things that were different than you expected. Um, just, I guess, for researching it early on, I expected that the water would be a challenge and so would the navigation. Those are, those are like things that they're pretty obvious. Um, what I wasn't expecting was just the type of terrain. I had no idea how diverse it was out there. Yeah. And just how different all the different canyons were and going up in mountains and stuff. That was pretty weird. Yeah, I definitely... And the temperature swings, too. That was That was hard to deal with. I absolutely took that from your film. I mean, I think your film captures those statements perfectly. Um, I mean, what's next for you? Like, is there another long-distance hike in the works? Nothing in the works so far. Um, I feel like I can't really even start thinking about another trail until I finish up the Hey Dude project. And I'd 
only just finished that like last week. Yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> now, enough. now I can start looking ahead. Um, I just found out about another trail in Patagonia. It looks kind of new and that looks incredible. Have you heard about that one? Which, which one's that? Uh, it's got a Spanish name. La Ruta de Parques de los Patagonia. Oh, yeah? Okay. Don't know that one. Like that. Yeah, yeah. it looks amazing. Like, really, really cool terrain. Actually, a little bit similar to the PNT, where you're up in the mountains and then you're down by the ocean, too. Yeah. I'm not sure how established that one is, but that's something I'd like to do at some point, but that probably won't happen for a long time. Yeah. You know, what I love about what you do is that you do the, um, you do the through hikes that others don't do, right? I mean, there's a lot of videos out there on the Appalachian trail, tons of them. Um, but you're doing the, the lesser hike trails. And I think that's super cool. Cause there's a lot of people that don't know much about these trails and you're, you know, you're a big influence, I think on them probably, um, understanding what it's like to through hike them. Um, and by the way, yeah. I, I want to remind I mean, the listeners that your videos are available for free, which I think is, is very generous of you. Do you have a, a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe campaign to, you know, to at least help you start to make a living off this? Um, I had one at the beginning of this trail. So I, I was actually kind of surprised. I was able to raise a decent amount of money for, for this project. Um, but as of right now, I don't have anything. Just go watch the movies, I guess. <laughs> okay, okay. That's all I can ask at this point. And if if there's listeners that want to find your your other film, which is the Pacific Northwest Trail, they just go to fiveacesmedia.net, Is that right? Yep. Or okay. else that's on YouTube too. Okay. Called the Sense of Direction. Yeah, dude, I love the uh, graphic at the end, man. That's kind of cool. Do you did you come up with that yourself? The, the the Joker with the flames? <laughs> yeah, I came up with that in high school. Oh, I like and it. I, <laughs> I think it's kind of like silly now, but I'm just going to keep it. <laughs> I kind of like it, man. I like it, actually. It's different. Um, do you want to plug like your Facebook yeah. or your Twitter pages or anything else? Uh, yeah, pretty much other than YouTube. Um, mostly what I use is Facebook and Instagram. Okay. And the Facebook is Five Aces Media, and Instagram is Five Aces with a three at the end, so it's F I V E A C three S. Okay. Well, we want to make sure that the uh, listeners can find you because this was a uh, a compelling opportunity for them if they want to venture out. Uh, can you give any closing advice to prospective hikers that are planning on a Hayduke section or through hike? Is a section hike even possible? That's the first question. I met one guy out there who was section hiking it. He'd been working on it for a couple of years. Uh, so it's possible, yeah. Um, but yeah, if anybody else is thinking about doing it, I think one of the best, or one of my favorite lines from the whole movie came from Scoops, one of the other hikers I met out there. Uh <laughs> He said, "You anybody can probably do it. If you've done another trail, you can probably do it, but you shouldn't because the best part is that you're not out here." <laughs> well, that's that's a statement. What about just um, I, I, I guess like advice on you know how to approach the Hey Duke if you decide to do it. 
like suggestions, uh, tips, those sort of things? Uh, as far as that, I guess, do your research for sure. This is, this is one of those trails where research is probably way more important than, than a lot of other hikes. And um, get as far as water, get uh, up-to-date information. That's something that I didn't do very well, and number two did that really well. And um, he was pretty important in giving me more up-to-date information on water. That helped a lot. Okay. Well, Money Shot, one of my favorite trail names, by the way. Uh, enjoyed having you back. I got a feeling that we're going to be talking again at some point in the future. I wonder if it'll be another year and a half, you think? Or more? Probably. Oh, wow. At this point, yeah. I don't I don't have anything planned coming up soon. I'm looking forward to your hour and a half release of the Hey Duke and... Um, I'm actually even more interested in seeing what you do next because you picked you picked some cool trails that are uh, not totally on the radar of most through hikers. So uh, well done, I guess is my statement. Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm looking forward to whatever comes next too. Hey, and with any luck, I'll meet you someday. I mean, you and I have never met face to face, but it's been really fun talking. So hopefully, our paths cross at some point. Uh, at some point, right? Yeah. Maybe I'll find you on a trail just randomly. <laughs> yeah. happened a couple times. Or if you ever blow through Atlanta, let me know. So, But uh, thanks for being on the show right. once again there, uh, Alex. Yeah. I really enjoyed having you. All right. Thanks. Nice talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Into Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app, and give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from intobackpacking.com. Just click the Podcast tab on the main menu. Music for this show was provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at N2Backpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com. <laughs>